This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now this week saw us release our brand new clothing range. It's our spring range. And what we've done with this collection is we've tried to put together a bunch of garments that you can wear no matter what the weather. We've got a bunch of new t-shirts. These ones I really like. We've got a Berserker Spirit t-shirt and an Ulfadin Spirit t-shirt. And what these are is that they've got a warrior in the middle and then behind the warrior you've got the spirit of the animal that they're embodying. So behind the Berserker you've got a bear and behind the Ulfadin you've got a wolf. Um, alongside that, for those of you who like something a little bit more simple, we've got just a logo t-shirt. So it's our logo on the left-hand side and that comes in a heather neve and a woodland heather. And these t-shirts are 100% organic recycled cotton. Then we've got a new jogging pant which come in the men's and the women's and we've also got a hoodie. So these are all in black with our logo embroidered on them. Again, with the hoodie, we're trying to keep in that theme of keeping things sustainable. So that's made from 85% organic cotton and 15% uh, recycled polyester. And it's um, Global Organic Treaty certified and also Fair Weather Foundation certified. And finally, I think my favorite item from this launch is we've got a brand new 100% cotton jumper. Now, this jumper is absolutely perfect for me. You can wear it on its own or you can layer it up and have a t-shirt under it and throw that on top for that little bit of extra warmth. It's really comfortable, it's really soft. Like I said, it's 100% cotton. Uh, the men's one comes in black and a beautiful olive color. And then we do a women's one, which comes in a lovely navy color as well. So yeah, just pop over to the website and check them out. Don't forget, you get that extra 10% discount off anything store-wide for listening to the podcast and for supporting the podcast. Just use Horns10 at checkout and you can get 10% off anything. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, corner of the company Horns Verdin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Hello, everyone. We are joined this time by Shacha Orlinski, uh, who is a PhD student at the university in Tel Aviv in Israel, working on uh, human trafficking in, in sort of like in the Viking Age and Merovingian period, as far as I understand it. So as far as I understand, you're focused mainly on the Frankish Empire, but that, of course, has like relations to Scandinavia and, and all of those things. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Um, one tiny correction. My alma mater is Tel Aviv University, but I'm at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Right. OK. Sorry about that. <laughs> Same country ish. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. So I love it when people correct you, Matthias. Me too. <laughs> it may, it makes the episode for me. <laughs> we can we can just we can just stop right now and I'll be happy for the rest of the night. <laughs> thank you for yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. This is one that I find really interesting. And I mean, how <laughs> studying human trafficking, that must be super depressing at times, even <laughs> though it's like something so long ago um it is something obviously that still happens still today you know do you ever just read and get a little bit sad well sure um but 
look, the thing about, so human trafficking is obviously not something that we, it's a modern category, right? So it's not something that comes from the source material. Um, maybe a more a more accurate way to put it would be, um, I, I'm interested, let's say, in the border between slavery and liberty. Mm. Um, and it's it's a murky, murky line. <laughs> the post-roman early middle ages um and i i i like the the term human trafficking in the sense that i think it it lets us think a little bit outside of this um traditional like roman air quotes um paradigm of research of slavery so because when when you talk about slavery in the early middle ages you tend to think about it in very like roman terms right? A slave market, there's it's a legal thing, right? So there are like slavers, there are customers, blah, blah, blah. Um, and a lot of times we totally forget about the fact that there are these people coming from different places and they just uh, take people and they don't really care about canon law. They don't care about Roman law. They don't care about any of these things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. And I guess like human trafficking is sort of more generally just more of a neutral term that can include a lot of different categories. We also have, um, we have people who sell themselves into some kind of bondsmanship or slavery as well, right? So I think in modern terms, when we think about a slave, we usually think about somebody who was like hunted down by slavers and then, you know, traded and and then works at, at, at some kind of plantation or farm or something like that. But there, there are so many other ways in which, you know, historically in, in medieval Europe, how you could become a slave, really. So I think that's a really good point. And it's not a rigid category as well. I mean, it, mm-hmm. obviously, it's not without reason that when we say slave, slavery, we think about the transatlantic slave trade. Um, but the, the early medieval um, scene, let's say, is a completely different thing. Slavery is not a rigid category of existence in the early Middle Ages. You can be a slave, and then, I don't know, your master likes you, or whatever, you buy your own, like, liberty, um, and, and then you're not a slave anymore. Uh, and there, there are so many examples of that, not to mention that there are also people who are partially enslaved it's so we have in again the roman terminology that that's being used and it's up to us as as um, scholars researchers to understand what the hell people mean when they use this roman terminology in the ninth century Mm -hmm. um we have coloni adscripti you know like many of these like a whole array of of partially enslaved individuals which we don't always know what it means in the context. Right. Okay. That's yeah. No, that that's that's interesting. Um because I think that's an important point to make that I think when most people mention slavery, you automatically think of like you said the transatlantic slave trade. But slavery I, I imagine is something that's gone on for as long as humans have been around and probably unfortunately will go on for as long as humans are here. I, I think Anybody is under the illusion that slavery ended when the transatlantic slave trade ended is just completely wrong because obviously it's still still around today in some fashions. Um, I think I saw something that there's more people enslaved today than any point in human history, which is just a sickening thought. So it is something that, like you said, is a broad covers such a broad time period. It's not just 
um, you know, two, three hundred years, I think that a lot of people automatically go to when you mention the word slave. Yeah, and people are usually really shocked. Um, the first question that I usually get is, oh, so who are the slaves in the in the Middle Ages? Was it like people from Africa? And then they're shocked to hear that the word slave actually comes from Slav, Slavic. Mm-hmm. Um, the word in German, like Slav, in English, even the word in Arabic um, at the time, Sakaliba, is from Slav, Slavic mm-hmm. people, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bit horrible. <laughs> it wasn't only, Sla- only it wasn't only people from <laughs> Slavic lands that were uh, enslaved. Yeah, I've always it's it's such a tough topic to talk about as well. I think it's one where I find myself treading so lightly, and that's probably why I stumble my words in this because I'm like trying to make sure that uh, I don't say anything wrong. But it's something that I've always thought is more about what you can make. Because it's so easy, especially with the trans- transatlantic slave trade, to focus on race. Whereas I think that before that, it was so much more about just making somebody work for you and what you can gain from it. And it's a, it's a power dynamic of a master. And it didn't really matter so much about the colour of the skin or anything like that. It was just taking somebody and what you can gain from it. Or at least that's what I imagine it to be. Yeah, that's... Um quite accurate i mean in throughout the middle ages uh, up to a very um it's some of the um arabic sources later later on so um i would say 13th century maybe uh, please like not sure at all that's like the far future as far as i'm concerned um but nobody talks about race it's not a thing it's your mm-hmm. it's tough luck, you know. You're you're someone caught you. You were you had to sell yourself, whatever. Ugh, you know, mm-hmm. sorry, tough luck. Yeah, it's not a rigid category. You can you can also get out of it. It, it um, it's not something that you're stuck in for life. There's nothing that marks you as a slave. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is what we're also seeing in the in, especially in the later medieval period and and the early modern period is is a lot of uh, slave trade in the Mediterranean where we have um, uh, peoples on on the North African coast, um, uh, broadly speaking, right, um, enslaving peoples that they find all over the Mediterranean, even going up along the uh, European coast. So we even have slave raids from from north africa on on iceland um so that that, that happens also right so this this is this is simply because it's um it's a it, i mean you're, you're looking for that resource of free labor right you're going mm-hmm. going around and, and and doing that uh um wherever possible and uh but, but i think that that's that's first of all that's an interesting concept in and of itself we have these um, you know, societies that allow for the enslavement of other human beings. And then you have to ask yourself, what, what are the reasonings for all of this? Usually um, before the transatlantic slave trade, it's, it's this tough luck situation, right? It's like, oh, shit happens. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then with the transatlantic slave, uh, uh, slavery, then it becomes a matter of race very quickly because... Uh, of all the dynamics that are happening in the uh, modern period in Europe as well. Um, but there's also, so that's that's one aspect. We have basically an economy that has slavery as part of it. But then you also have societies that are where their economy is 
like fundamentally based off of slavery, um, which would be the United States um, at a certain time period, um, especially the, the Southern states, right? Um, but um, I've recently come across uh, some uh, suggestions that actually like Viking Age Scandinavia was also very much a slave economy in 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 that uh, especially in the what we could call the high viking age i don't know if you have anything to say about that shaha uh not as much as i would like to but i uh, somehow i i find it it's hard for me to to 100% agree with something like that because looking in instead of to to uh, the early united states let's say roman society that was the example for a slave society um I really, and even even in Roman times, okay, we have the the every once in a while you see this like huge latifundia, right? It's like these huge estates with hundreds of slaves. But for the most part, what what does it mean? So what what do slaves do? What do you need slaves in Scandinavia for? Okay, so you have three slaves working in your uh, in your garden. <laughs> okay, two other slaves working in like domestic slaves, right? Someone to take care of your kids. And someone else to do to do the the cooking and the washing. It, it's a question. What does it mean, slave society? And then when we think about Vikings specifically, not just generally society in Scandinavia and in in the Middle Ages, then that becomes even more tricky. Because what what are we talking about? Are we talking about slaves that go on on ships? There's there's another. Uh, I think there was a study a few years ago. I can't remember who uh, who conducted it at all, but. Um, they looked at DNA, I think, in Iceland, and they realized that like some really like high percent percentage of um, females in Iceland were descended from uh, Irish, mm-hmm. like an Irish line, suggesting that they were slaves or like slave women, slave girls, that were brought from from Ireland. So maybe. <laughs> mm. But I think it's worth like asking what is it? What does it actually mean, a slave society, and 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 when? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's true. And um, so what I was specifically referring to in this regard is that uh, there is one um, uh, excavation of, of like a, a settlement in, in Sweden, I think it is, where uh, it very much looks like you you had sort of like a plantation style setup with uh, with slave huts and and then uh, sort of like a managerial overlooking uh, kind of post and everything. I can't remember the site now, unfortunately. But um, but that's that's just interesting to consider. That then you also have to ask, what were they growing? Uh, <laughs> like Maybe they weren't growing anything. Um, so so there's one there's one interesting idea that um, there was an industry of uh, furs. Right. Yeah. Uh, so and you don't grow furs. You it's a dirty dirty business, <laughs> but you don't grow it. Yeah. No, so 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 they, basically, they could have been in uh, sort of uh, working on the uh, uh, you know all all the doing all the dirty work of like skinning and and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I, I guess I've always wondered is: Do we know? Was there any compassion towards slaves, particularly say at the Viking Age? <clears throat> do we have any evidence of? slave owners feeling bad or guilt and then wanting to set their slave free because it it was they saw it as something that was 
wrong or 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 bad, I guess. Um, I guess because I always have this idea of the humans will always try to justify what they do. So I wondered whether the Vikings would justify taking slaves by in the same way I think that maybe people in America and Europe justified the transatlantic slave trade through skin color and you know saying the black people are lesser humans and all that kind of bullshit. And I wondered whether that was the same thing we saw with Scandinavia and maybe even with Christians, you know, they're different to us. So that's why we, we're going to take them as slaves because they're different and that's how they justify it. And that guilt aspect kind of disappears, I guess. If anything, the fact that people are Christian is, I don't think it means anything to um, say Vikings who take them as slaves, but it means much more to Christians sitting in, in Francia. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, so, I, I, uh, I don't know, Willy Broad sitting in Utrecht somewhere, right? He goes like, oh no, there are Christians in wherever. Like, oh, we need to go there, you know? And like, <laughs> I, I guess I guess what I was getting at is that even though we're talking about humans a thousand years ago, they still must have some form of compassion. Mm. And even though I guess it's normalized in, in their society more, certainly more than it is today, whether they would justify it, I guess, by saying these people are different because of their religion. So it's not quite as bad as, say, taking Bob from the next farm over as a slave. <laughs> I mean, they probably also did take Bob from the next farm okay. over. I guess maybe that's, yeah. That's, <laughs> I was wondering whether there was that distinction of taking, so, you know, so going to other lands of... and taking them because they are in some way different and they can justify it rather than just taking taking the their neighbor as um as a slave so so what there's a couple of things to consider one thing is the christian society in in western europe in particular um of course has a the perception of like non-christians that that uh well you you can do anything to them pretty much right that's an in-group out-group thinking that uh, is being established um well, I guess with the Frankish Empire, actually. The, the... Point of information, I think. I mean, there, there's that perception. And I think in the Frankish sources, you really see an effort to talk about this, these, these raids as a, as, a, as a religion thing, right? Almost mm-hmm. like, a, like using the word crusade here is completely like um, anachronistic. But, um, but it's something that I think is much more prominent for the Christians mm. than than to the other side and they talk about them you know as if as if they're these monstrous you know beasts with like three heads and but they're very much the people of their time you know you think about charlemagne going all isis on the saxons mm-hmm. and there's <laughs> no but that's that's a really good uh, good point right uh because the charlemagne sets sort of like the uh, the standard for how you as a Christian nation can deal with non-Christian nations in Europe at this time. I mean, this is what really sets off uh, uh, the, the future, you know, uh, justifications, for instance, for, you know, when the Danes, they start um, harassing the Estonians and the Polish uh, or the Vents, I guess they are, uh, after they have been Christianized, right? In the 1100s, then you see the Danes going on crusades, right? This is all just, you know, a way of like, justifying that you want to conquer your neighbor. 
um, or, or that you have to like uh, put that neighbor down because they are doing piracy in your waters or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, they're heathens. So, so, th- so there's that aspect. And yeah, I think you're totally right that the, 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 the Scandinavians, they're not, you know, focused on, on uh, you know, uh, talking too much about uh, like what kind of people are they, the ones that we're enslaving, like they're, they're just like foreigners, hence the word uh, Welsh. Right, and just foreigners, um, and it's that's um, that's that's a good point. Um, but if we look at the uh, the source material, right, in in uh, broadly in in the medieval period, on on like how are they talking about other peoples, right, out in in Christian Europe, then that the heathen category is definitely the main reason that that you have have you have the right to like go fuck them up, like. <laughs> I think there there is a difference though between um, like later in the Middle Ages, not not the later Middle Ages, but like the eleven hundreds, let's say, um, and the, the seventh, eighth centuries, in mm. in the sense that um, there's a question of who who is actually under your jurisdiction. The two others, the two main others that we see in um, in the sources, so like in in uh, ecclesiastical sources, the synods and and so on, are heathens and Jews, <laughs> like mm. pagans and Jews. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to see in which cases. So you're not allowed to sell a Christian to either heathen to either like pagans or Jews, because obviously the I think the idea is that every slave. Is uh, is a Christian, right? In esse or in posse, so either like actually a Christian, or he can he or she can be Christian. Yeah. Um, and the last thing you want is for some, God forbid, someone to convert them to something else, right? Right. <laughs> but, but Jews are much easier to Jews are they they live within Christendom, right? They're much easier to put your hands on, mm. um, unlike pagans that are usually without. The, the the borders of Christendom, and then what what we see, which is really interesting, I think, um, is that in many cases when Jews are involved, then the sources demand the punishment for the Jews, and when pagans are involved, or when Christians sell their slaves to pagans, then it's it's the the person who sold the slave the, their slaves to the pagan whose punishment is is sought for, mm. okay. because you can't the pagans you know they they're 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 not there anymore, mm-hmm. right? They right. they came to like freaking the doorstep, whatever. They took three people, anything that wasn't nailed to the floor, and left. Mm. Does that mean that the Christians saw Christian slaves as more than a pa- like pagans or Jews? Did they, would they have seen them higher in the the class order, even though the slaves, because of obviously that, you can't sell them to them. It's a hard question to answer. I I think again because slavery is not something that's outside of it, it, it. It's not being justified in terms of this is a this person is not as much a person as I am. I, I think people saw what was around them and they saw that you know someone oh you know my cousin from uh, my my cousin from Dorstad whatever was taken by Vikings. Right, and now the, the poor uh, Katla is a slave. Um, so, so people saw that around them, probably, mm-hmm. um, and they knew that it, anyone could become a slave, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, and if if you're part of the Christian establishment, if you can say that, um, then you value them more because they're Christian 
it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that like with with their enslavement mm. and, and mm-hmm. we, we see it it's also it's a, it's a it's a christian thing to go and ransom captives we have a few saints from the 7th century like eligius is a good example uh, of noyon so from from francia who's uh, in his vita in his saint's life uh, we are told, even though it's a tricky source, whatever, um, we are told that uh, he has a hobby, right? It's his favorite thing in the world is to go and ransom captives. One time he even like he ransomed the whole boatload of slaves. Most of them were Saxons. Ha, huh, great. Um, and he even gave them the choice of whether or not to join the church. How nice, right? And, that, and that's another issue. It, that, that's a question, right? When the, when the church ransoms slaves, does it mean that they're actually buying slaves? Mm. That's a really good question, right? And yeah, no, I mean, it's not free labor, right? You have to, you have to buy them, or you have to, like, even if you, if you just kidnap them, that that also takes a lot of money, and then you have to make sure that they don't die on the way, right? That they look good enough to be sold. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is it, and that's also so. Enscar, um, right? Yeah, the so-called apostle of the north, uh, credited with uh, bringing Christianity to uh, both Denmark and Sweden. Um, I mean, he's doing this right. He's he's buying slaves and to bring him back to to raise them in his schools as Christians and then send them back. Right. <laughs> Answer is really he's an interesting case. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, supposedly he there's a, an envoy that's being sent or that was sent from uh, from Birka to uh, Louis the Pious, seeking to get a, um, you know, someone to come and like baptize, tell, tell the poor heathens in Birka all about Christianity. Uh, and Ansgar goes like, oh, sure, I'm coming. Um, he takes his guys and they, they go up to Birka, barely survive the journey. Um, and when they get there, so they're um, the king of Birka, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. Tiny place. It welcomes them and he inquires. He has to ask his his um, fidelis, his mm-hmm. uh, loyals, um, if if they if they okay this thing, which is surprising, right? Because the source just told us that he called for this mission to come. So something is weird here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you actually realize that it wasn't him. It wasn't Bjorn, the king of Birka, that called for for this mission. It was someone else it was like this chieftain who's a, a counselor of bjorn called Hedigar, mm-hmm. um who later on he converts and he's like the most like devout christian on birka um and um he he's the one who probably called for ansgar and ansgar says in in his vita it says that there were many christian captives in birka Hmm. So then there's there's the question um, that I personally find the most uh, interesting in this context is who influences who, mm-hmm. right? If we have that many uh, Christian captives on Birka and in other places as well, uh, in Vitaria Berti, we see uh, many Christian captives in Hedbu. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the church that's being built, right? So these Christian captives, first of all, they represent the strongest entity in the, in the area, the Frankish empire. These guys are America, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, maybe Constantinople is America, but they're like, I don't know, little, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but they're, they're like the coolest thing in the, in the neighborhood, right? You want to, you want to be like them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I think they they expose their masters maybe even to Christianity, and then there's there's all the more of an interest not to ransom them actually, even though that's what you're you know saintly you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? I mean, going there and making sure that sure their Christian souls are in peril, but you can take care of that very easily, right? All you need to do is just build a church. Mm-hmm. And then you literally set in stone the Christian presence in the north. That's right. Yeah, and that's a good point. Huh. Okay, so hmm. So 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 basically in that sense they work as sort of like in, in inception agents. <laughs> like yeah, like ready-made congregations, if you will, or like unwitting apostles of the north. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there are two there are two questions that I wanna uh, wanna tackle here because one is um, the discussion about like uh, the introduction of Christianity in in Scandinavia in general. That one um, originated in the whole idea that it was sort of like it it spread through the 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 lower classes. The masses became Christian before the top did in society. So that was then something that you know scholars revised over the last thirty years, and we're like, ah, eh, maybe that was probably not the case maybe it was more like you know uh, the the established elites that saw a, a benefit and and they converted to christianity um so so where do we land on all of that stuff um with with these discussions that we just had right now <laughs> it's a combination of these two things so either to to suggest that it was either a top down or a bottom up um process I, I think is it would be inaccurate because it's a society, it's a living thing. It's not, you know, they they don't they didn't hear about the fact that they need to adhere to rules of, uh, you know, the study of sociology <laughs> or whatever. It, it's probably a combination of things. On the one hand, you have, you know, the the people like uh, Olaf Tryggvason, right? Mm-hmm. These guys were so Christian and pious when they weren't splitting skulls in half. Mm-hmm. Um, and and on the other hand, you have local saints like uh, you know Brigitta whatever and her daughter uh, like couldn't be any more saintly than that mm-hmm. until saintly of course she was, she was called the witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you have these people and I think that that challenges this this model in the sense that in order to buy slaves and in order to have slaves you had to have been a powerful player mm. Um, but then these slaves are the, the poorest of the poor. They're they're usually they're completely they're disconnected from their their networks of support. They're may, maybe they have each other and they see each other. I don't know in the market. Oh, you know when they buy like freaking cabbage for their masters, and then you have people who are pretty powerful in society bringing these foreign agents. Um, mm-hmm. And all of these things kind of exist at the same time. Actually, what brought me to, to the subject um, to begin with is actually the questions of, of the Christianization of Scandinavia. Because something, the weirdest thing happens with the Christianization of Scandinavia. It's unlike any other ethnic group or group in general in, in the Middle Ages, they, they convert from a position of power, which is really weird. Um, so a good example would be... Um, um, Rollo, what's his face? No, mm-hmm. uh, the first count of uh, the first Duke of Normandy. So there's a whole story. He converts to Christianity after 
back and forth a siege of like the area and then at a, at a certain point uh, Charles the Simple uh, Charles the Simple that is not a compliment uh, <laughs> like, I feel like that'd be my monarch name <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the one I'd get in, uh, in 9-11 they signed the treaty of uh, St. Clair sur Ept uh, basically the, they, they go like uh, okay so you Rolf Right now, now you'll be Rollo from now on, Robert later on. Um, you convert to Christianity and um, like def- we'll give you this whole area from the, the Ept, from the river, all the way to the sea, the entirety of Normandy. And in return, you have to promise us to uh, treat other Vikings if they come. Like, be, be nice to us, make sure they don't come here. Um, and, and there's a whole story of how when his men converted, they had to be, they had to be like told off because some of them came and tried to be baptized like three times because they got these nice white fabrics. Um, and someone had to tell them, no, 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 you can't do that. You can only be converted once. <laughs> you can only be baptized once. Um, you know, and, and other sources that talk about um, how like Christ, the figure of Christ was received in, in Scandinavia as like, um, I can't remember his name. Was, um, whatever, like someone who um, in I think it's uh, Saxo talks about it, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, when they first uh, tried to convert the Danes, uh, then the the local pagan priests were like, "Sure, your Christ is like a thing, uh, but our gods are better." Mm. Um, so you have these like syncretistic perceptions. And even later on, we, we have um, amulets that mention Christ, Odin, the devil, the Balzabob, you know, every possible deity that they could, can think of. Um, and, and Christianity, and it's a very interesting thing. Well, there's also the interesting thing about Scandinavia is uh, also that it kind of looks like there's a, there's, there are some, sort of like conceptual ideas that are attached to the pre-Christian deities that live on with the saints in Scandinavia. Um, I mean, the best example is is this guy who goes to Uppsala and sacrifices a horse to Saint Eric, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, hmm, that seems like a very <laughs> pagan thing to do, my friend. <laughs> so it's like you have that, you have the crossover between both uh, Olaf Tryggvason and Olaf the Holy, and then Thor, right? They, they're like represented kind of similarly to Thor. Um, uh, Saint Knut of Denmark sometimes sort of like gravitates a little towards Odin in, in representations and so on. So, so there's definitely some weird syncretism going on in Scandinavia. And and I think you're totally right that it is, it is odd that they, they convert from a position of power um, there's a couple of things when it, when it comes to like Denmark, which is quite interesting because we have, um, we have the, we have Harold Bluetooth, who's responsible for having converted the Danes and they're, they're, they're diverting stories on why that happened. Right? So the Danish story goes that he was, um, he was so impressed with the, the German Bishop Popo, uh, who, who carried iron, hot glowing iron in his hands. Right. So so that was that was like the, the, the story where, where, where the king was like, huh, wow, 
that's pretty cool. Well, I'll convert to you, God, then. <laughs> then we also have the other story where, uh, and that's the one that we find in, in the the Old Norse material, in the saga literature, right? Um, where, where a good friend, Harold Bluetooth, got his ass kicked by, I think it was uh, Emperor Otto. Um, and, and, and then he had to convert to Christianity. So that's, that's also interesting, right? We have like this, um, we have literally like the, the diametrically different sources when it comes to like uh, uh, telling us why Denmark has, has such converted. And Sweden is just a whole mess because it looks like we have Christian kings in the 900s and then um, then it goes away again. Then we have pagan kings, and then we have some Christian kings again. And then eventually they sort of like just like it was. It wasn't so much of, of like now we're Christian. It was more like okay, we're Christian in the like the late <laughs> thousands. So yeah, it's it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you think also about um, you mentioned uh, Harald Blåton. So just think about how Christ is depicted on the Yellingstone. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be the, the scene of, if, if you haven't seen it um, out there, um, it's supposed to be the scene of the crucifixion. But instead of that, what you see is this like angry figure, you know, like hands stretched, like arms stretched, serpents or whatever around him. And he's like this really strong figure. I think this is the best visual uh, depiction of the Christianization of Scandinavia. Oh, yeah. We'll take him, but like he's not nailed <clears throat> to a cross. Yeah. No, no, they, they, they couldn't do it. The tough Christ. <laughs> yeah, he's a tough Christ. It's the same with the uh the, the, the Saxon gospel, right? Um which is just such an amazing story uh, uh in terms of like translating the the, the the gospels because we're dealing with a Jesus who's like got a big ass sword and a bunch of warriors with him and he's hanging out in the castle. It's not that like suffering Christ. <laughs> like they for Northern Europe, they had to sort of like, you know, th- this is sort of this is a warrior god, guys. Like mm-hmm. that you want you want a warrior god. <laughs> we've been a very tough sell otherwise. I think He's a pacifist. Uh, turn the other cheek. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what, what, what's he good for then? <laughs> <laughs> the, the main question for me when it comes to this topic is how forced was the Christianization of Scandinavia? And that's because every time I frequent the Facebook groups online, you always see like the modern day kind of like Viking bros, people who are interested in in this sort of culture, the, the typically bearded, tough male that looks quite a lot like I do, um, they're always very much of this idea that the Vikings did a big last stand and it was Christianity was forced upon them uh, and they had no, you know, it was something that was, wasn't was done willingly. They would have stayed pagan if they could have. Christians came in and it was very much you know, forced, and that was it. And I guess it's their way of justifying it today. And and Christian, um, and Christians are the you know this big evil thing that just came and demanded it. And whereas I understand it to maybe be a little bit more different, and that people converted because they were offered nice, pretty things, and it made sense to all. They were offered land, or power, and wealth, and you know the people in power went, yeah, all right, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, the best example probably is. Uh... Um, Harald Hardrada, mm. right? <laughs> the toughest, like toughest dude on earth, was Christian through and through. I'm not sure what it meant for him, but you know, 
Um, I hate to break it. They, some of them were very Christian, very, I mean, they were nominally Christian. Please. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to think that that's another thing. We tend to think about um, people in the middle ages as, oh, you know, they were all super religious. They couldn't think outside of this. Like they, all they cared about every, the, the, the entire day was, oh, they're gods. Oh, you know, like walking around mm-hmm. praying to God. Most people were just people. I mean, we're, we're not, we like to tell ourselves that we, oh, we're so different than they were. But ugh, in the end of the day, probably people are just interested in living their lives. They kind of believe in something that, you know, puts order into their existence and give the, gives them hope. Um, but, but that's it. Eventually, you know, you meet a nice Frisian lady and okay, she's Christian and fine, I'll convert. And like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That that kind of stuff happens today still. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I think they say people are—they're just like us, and and I guess they're Christian or appear to be very Christian when the time matters and they're told to. You know, when it comes down to the the nitty gritty, maybe on a Sunday, and they said you have to go to church, or else, then it's like, all right, I'll do it. But Monday through Saturday, maybe not so much. <laughs> maybe there's a little bit of sin. <laughs> yeah, good example for that. It's all and we, we see it like put into the to the Christian establishment, the highest levels of the Christian establishment. Um, it's out out of the out of the discussion, maybe in a way, but um, ideas like Pax Day, right, the peace of God, mm-hmm. very much like a later a crusader thing. But basically, they go, you know, Urban the Second goes like, oh no, <laughs> you know, it's not okay to fight on like Sunday. And also, like, uh, Wednesday is not amazing. So try to, like, make sure that you do your fighting between, like, Monday and Tuesday. And, like, uh, you know, (laughs) the peace of God. We find, because, again, a lot happens between this weird Jewish-ish, the Jewish sect in, you know, the first, second, third centuries and until it, it, it goes all the way up north and it takes on a completely different form. Mm. Even even in, in Merovingian times, these guys will not have recognized the Christianity of, of, of I don't know, say the, the, the synoptic gospels. That's yeah. No, this is such a good point. And that, that this is also something that modern observers have to consider that the, the ways in which we think about Christianity today is, are more informed by the 19th century than anything else. Like, Christianity before the 19th century looked very different, uh, my friends. Um, uh, this whole thing of uh, like, uh, you know, piety and sin and all that stuff, not a big deal in the early medieval period. Like th- that's not really what we're talking about when we're talking about normal people. Good good example of this, um, the Danish laws on premarital sex uh, for, 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 for women were like, well, yeah, if she gets pregnant, then, then the, the dudes in her family have the right to go tell the guy who got her pregnant that he has to take care of her. No punishment or anything. Like they, they're like, well, we need to sort out this issue of now she got pregnant. So, so that, like that tells the, you something. The original about, shotgun wedding. Yeah, totally. Like they're they're, they're not particularly care. Uh, they don't care about like her virginity or some crap like that. It's just like, well, if she got pregnant. You got to fix it, man. So <laughs> <laughs> people associate. Well, it's it's just you know. Yeah, it's your problem now. Like, <laughs> It's a mess, right? 
because this is what happens if you end up impregnating the wrong person you you make a connection between the wrong families it makes a mess for everybody exactly <laughs> and that's the real problem it makes a mess for everybody <laughs> I, i've seen romeo and juliet i understand that yeah you know what it's about <laughs> <laughs> but okay so one thing when the franks convert to christianity what is that in the early 500s so the main problem that, uh, if we look at Scandinavia, the main problem that Scandinavians will have, right, these magnates in Scandinavia, is that their connections start to fill, fizzle out. Because they, from, say, around the 2-300s, uh, we see Scandinavians establishing these loyalty bonds and alliances throughout Europe. This is what we can see with the uh, the exchange of uh, various precious um, um, jewelry, for instance, gifts that are obviously being sent around, right? Um, this is why we also have like uh, the the stone in Sweden that uh, that mentions Fjölreker the Great, right? So 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 the Gothic king of uh, of Lombardy. Um, this tells us everything about how connected Scandinavians are to to the central and southern and even like southwestern parts of of Europe, with the dispersal of the Goths all over the place, and then the Franks and and else uh, and other peoples, right? And then we have the Franks converting to Christianity and and being like, okay, now we can't hang with our cousins up north, and so that's a, that's a major problem, and. Um, and and uh, so, what what do you think that has to say with like in terms of the developments of of, uh, of warfare and uh, these uh, Viking incursions that then happen later on? Is that is that sort of like a desperation kind of thing? Now, especially also because the, the Franks then you know make sure to convert the uh, the English, and uh, so by the middle of the six hundreds, the English are, are converted to, to Christianity, and uh, that. I guess might also represent a, uh, a a trade problem for the Scandinavians. Um, well, that, that was definitely an incentive. I'm certain of that. Um, but again, you know, the, the, you, you said the Franks uh, made sure to uh, to convert the the Anglo Saxons. Sure, they send you know Augustine to be of Canterbury, <laughs> and and Berta, right? She's like this major thing. Um, but it, it's kind of like, this is the fashion, right? This is like bon ton. This is what everybody does now. Mm. And we, we see these incursions specifically in Frisia. I don't know what it is about Frisia. Uh, maybe it's the cows. Um, <laughs> so attractive. Uh, but the first, the first raid on Frisia is actually, um, that I know of, um, is from the very beginning of the sixth century. We, we see it in Gregory of Tours. Mm. Right in and somewhere between uh, five fourteen and five thirty four, if I remember correctly. Yeah, sounds um, about right. What, what is his name? That it, it's uh, Hugelak. I was supposed to be Hugelak, yeah, from yeah. Uh, Beowulf, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that that wasn't a very successful raid, but there's no doubt. I mean, these people they're right there, right? If they're in in Birka, they're they're just across the the North Sea. It's what. But three days like worth of a, a boat ride mm -hmm. and also they probably understand the people that they take they know their way around they also trade with these people it, it's we had we had we have this like tendency to think about it as like two different things right you either take uh slaves or you trade well mm -hmm. probably they did both mm -hmm. 
they're practical people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not, um, and that would have made it even more scary in many ways, like even scarier for them to to uh, for, for the people who were raided. And we see also we see that um, a lot of times these raids happened on uh, saint uh, saints days or on Sunday. Well, that probably wasn't by chance. No. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, it probably, it, I think it makes sense to to suggest that their conversion to Christianity probably had a lot to do with political pressure. Because because religion is part of part of life, and especially if your perception is is somewhat like syncretistic, it's not a problem for you to go. Okay, fine. I'm converting to Christianity. Cool. So now I have. Christ, I have this God, and I also have the other gods, and we see it in in um, the the reluctant po- the reluctant skull from uh, Olaf Turgvason's uh, conversion. I, I can't remember the last time I dealt with it, it was years ago, uh, but he goes like, "Oh, you know, Odin is mad at me now, and like for converting, uh, but uh, this is what my king wants, so oh, woe is me." Uh, <laughs> I mean, could you get people who just edged the bets and were, I'm just going to pray to both, or at least like give offer, pray to God and give offerings to, to the pagan gods and that's, supposedly that's whatever's fun, right? Whatever's real is real, and you know, we have a couple of examples of that. Uh, what is his name? Uh, Helgi or Kjalti, I can't remember. Some guy who's mentioned in the uh, Book of Icelanders or, or the, the, the the Book of Settlements. He's like um, a devout Christian, it says. And, but, but you know, when he goes sailing, he always sacrifices to Thor. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just make sure that you're, you know, uh, your back's covered in, in, uh, in, in any way. On my deathbed, I'm praying to every god I know. Huh. And all the ones I don't, as well, I'm going to make up a few, just in case. <laughs> Just in case I get it right, who knows? <laughs> we we don't know what's gonna. I don't, I don't know what's out there after. Well, I mean, I am certain that I'll be haunting some place somewhere. That, that, that's my deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll keep my eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so one thing we do have from Scandinavia is is a source that's sort of like. Uh, it justifies slavery, right? That's that's the Ristula, um, this uh, this late Eric poem. Uh, I guess you can translate it to Rik's journey, or more more accurately, Rik's poem or list or something like that. Um, but it's the story about this god Rik, who um, is possibly Heimdallr. That's what it's said in the in the prose introduction to the poem. Um, and and he goes on this journey. He's just like, I'll I'll walk along the coast, and then uh, then I'll get to a house, and then I'll you know spend three nights with the lady who lives in that house because that's apparently what you could do when you're a Nordic god. So he does that with, uh, um, and it, this is generational, right? So so the first couple is great uh, grandmother and great grandfather, and they're the ones who engender the slaves. The next one is grandmother and grandfather and they're the ones who engender the middle class of society i guess and then the last ones so that would be the free peasants the last ones are mom and dad and they then uh, become the progenitors of the aristocracy and a couple of things that we can say is that this poem is, is probably relatively young it's 
definitely composed post-conversion. It's not found in the main collection of Eddic poetry called the Codex Legius. It's found in, um, I think it is found in a, uh, in a manuscript that also contains Snorris Etta, so a later manuscript from, from the 1300s, if I might remember correctly. And so that's, that's, a, that's a very much like, it talks about feudalism, right? That, that's what it does. It, it just describes uh, sort of like a, a, um, a, uh, a godly ordained uh, feudalism. And, and that's, that's coming back to what you were talking about, Dan, about like, how would they justify these uh, things? Well, that's an example of, of how you typically see this stuff justified in, in earlier society. Like go back to, you know, other uh, polytheistic societies and you see that there's like some kind of like a, a reasoning that, that goes along with like this particular god or people who uh, belong to these god, uh, this god over here as opposed to people who belong to this god and so on. That's the way you see this justified. Um, and it's, you know, is very similar in Christianity as well. You find, you know, Christian uh, 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 arguments for why the, there should be slaves and so on. Um, and, um, but yeah, so a couple of things you can say about that poem is that it's probably not from the pre-Christian period. That's something to keep in mind. Um, and when you go to the pre-Christian period, the runestones are our best source to knowledge about, like, the relationship between slave owners and, uh, and slaves. And um, especially because there are several runestones from Scandinavia that, uh, that talk about a freed person. Um, there is one from my hometown, Aarhus, where this, uh, this guy, um, he, he raises a stone over his old master. And he mentions that his master gave him his freedom. Just drops it on his head. <laughs> no. I mean, that's one way to get... Get freedom, I guess. No, no. So the thing is, he's praising his master for having given him his freedom and given him gold uh, to uh, to establish himself. Mm -hmm. So, so that's an example of somebody who who had a lot of luck afterwards. Like he he was basically like taken a slave or sold to the person a slave, and then for some time period he was this person's slave and then this guy was like well i'm gonna give you your freedom now and and here's some gold to you know get get set up and there you go so that's something that we see in in some of the runestone material i mean that must happen because at the end of the day we are talking about people and people are a spectrum you will get some that are super shitty and like no i'm never free my slaves i don't want to do the hard work but then you will get some who get to know their slaves, they will undoubtedly truly have some sort of con you know interaction conversation, see them as human, and then be like, you know, I kinda do feel a little bit bad about this, and then set them free. That must happen. It can't just be a case of black and white, like it, like so many people try to put them in these everything in these boxes. Whereas there's also, there's also the other one, right? It's like, oh man, I see you so much as a human. I really like you, I really love you. That's why I'm never letting you go. <laughs> That's the Cicero and his slave. If I remember correctly. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, he's probably just a really good worker, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, but you not do your job people, so good. Not all of them were workers. I mean, some, okay, we, we know it more from the, from the Roman case, but some slaves are um, quite educated. Specifically, this guy that we were just, we just mentioned, Cicero's slave, was probably one of the richest people in you know, Rome. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, no, Greek teachers were, were like a typical type of slave that you could have in, in Roman society, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think there's no reason to suspect the Scandinavian case was any different, especially, again, like, especially with uh, slaves coming from closer places, slaves taken in Frisia, I imagine, were better slaves for personal use, let's say rather than uh, for, for selling far away, because they, they probably spoke a language that was close enough to, um, you know, people, they could understand each other quite easily, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that's, that's a good, that's a good slave to have, to have at home. You know, maybe they're Christian, maybe we, we want, now we're newly Christian and we actually want, I don't know. Of course, to like teach our children, like the nanny. We we kidnap the nanny from. Uh... I, I, oh, this sounds this sounds so bad now, but I wonder if there was like a a shopping list for for slaves, which sounds really awful. But like, if maybe I don't know, maybe somebody did want a particular role, and they're like, go see if you can find someone who can fill this role. I guess I always thought of it on a very basic level of you just took a slave and you made him work and he, he plowed the field for you. And that was, that's how, that's how it was. That was my very simplistic mind putting it in. The, I never thought of it being, you know, if you took somebody who was highly educated, you could then use them to, I guess, to educate your people or your children. So I wonder if they were, you know, there was a, a shopping list is a bad word, but you, I guess you know what I mean by it. I can't think of a better I think one. Shopping list is, list is exactly. Shopping lift, yeah. <laughs> I think it's correct, but it just feels bad saying it. <laughs> I haven't seen anything like that. But you know what? Maybe if we think about it the other way around, so not on the side of Vikings taking Christian slaves, but rather missionaries grabbing uh, Scandinavian children. That's definitely a shopping list type mm -hmm. uh, situation. They're in their mind, they're not taking slaves, obviously. But um, going back to Willie Broad, we just mentioned, um, there's the whole story of him, right? He's trying to convert um, Radbod, and Radbod is like all nice to him, but he's like, thank you very much, I'm not converting. Um, Funny story, by the way. He's uh, the, it ha it happens later, but uh, there's the, the bit with Radbud. He's already in the baptismal font, and and then he asks, "Oh, are my ancestors going to join me in like beautiful Christian heaven?" And Willie Borg goes, uh, uh, "Look, they're pagan, so no." And then Radbud goes, mm, "I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my ancestors in hell." Atata stepping out of the baptismal font but before that happens um there's a story with willie board that uh so he's 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 getting tired of radbod so he decides to take on a new mission he really tries hard to get himself uh martyred it doesn't work um but he decides to go to um to like the danish people and their uh scariest king on gendus uh, was a complete beast and then he goes there, and Ongenos uh, is actually quite nice to him. Uh, but nobody's interested in converting to Christianity. So uh, he chooses th 30 children, and he takes them quickly with him back to Francia. And he makes sure to, bapti to baptize them um, before they go on the boats, in case anything happens to them. So at least 
they're they're Christian and he, he took care of them. And I think Matthias, you said something about it earlier. Why on earth would they do that? There's a good reason to do that because these kids, they do speak the language. And then you, if you take them to a monastery and you raise them there, you can you can later send them back as missionaries. One thing I'd say is that um I think aside from the Scandinavians converting from like a position of power, I'd say there's probably a lot of like um, Eastern Europeans that are doing the same thing. The Rus come to mind as like Vladimir, right? Vladimir the first, who's who's sort of like the Christianizer king of um, of of the Rus. He starts out as pagan. He's been hanging out in Scandinavia for about ten years before he comes back to like become king. And then he um, he's first like he's first like very big on oh. Oh, oh, my, my, my ancestral religion, and let me put a statue of Perun outside of my my great hall, and all these things. And then all of a sudden, he's like, "Ah, fuck it, Christianity is the best," and and then he goes with that. And I think that's a, that's another good example of sort of like a a, a, a ruler who's who's converting from a, a, a from a position of power. One of the interesting things is that from around his time, I think it is. There are, there are Saxon missionaries in his uh, in 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 the area, right? And there's one Saxon Saxon missionary who says something, uh, who reports back uh, something like, "This uh, this uh, this whole area is teeming with uh, runaway slaves and Danes." <laughs> like that's sort of like specifically what he says. <laughs> maybe maybe it's even Boniface. Is that possible? It could be, yeah. <laughs> It could be Boniface. Boniface has a lot of um, so he's he's the guy that was uh, the another Anglo-Saxon, right? They, they have like this weird fixation on going back to like the Saxons and trying to convert them. Um, he has a lot of rant on uh, on like pagans and like a cool example is the letter that Pope Gregory the Third sends him for his becoming Archbishop to the Germans. Um, he reminds him of his duties and uh, among them to bring to justice these Christians who would sell their slaves to pagan priests to be ritually sacrificed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And he, he demands that they would be, you know, brought to justice as uh, murderers. Again, because the, the, these are the only guys that he can, uh, he can bring to justice, right? You can't really take the... The pagan priests, they won't come probably. Um, once once the Christianization started, do you think that it's it's like a house of card where where people just jump on because it's it's happening, it's a thing. People around them have converted, so it's like, well, well may as well go along with it. Kind of just taking the winning side, I guess. Kind of like Italy in World War Two. <laughs> just. Do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, peer pressure, right? Peer pressure always works. Um, and also, you, you want to trade with other people, right? Christians won't trade with you if you're not Christian. So, eh, fine, you're Christian. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, so so there's some advantages, especially from from after Charlemagne's conquest of the Saxons. That's where really, like, as I was alluding to before, we had this, you know, these alliances that exist between these different Scandinavian rulers and then, you know, other Germanic associated rulers around in Europe. And that starts breaking down with the Franks converting to Christianity, especially when we then get to Charlemagne and Charlemagne has like this whole plan of like, um, 
you know, he's, he's like, oh, these people over here, they don't have Christianity. Well, we definitely need to bring them Christianity. Um, sort of like Americans and, and oil, right? And I think I've made that joke before. <laughs> um, these people have oil. Well, they need freedom. Um, and and so so he, he invades Thuringia and uh, you know, what is now Austria. He, uh, he invades Saxony and so on. And that's when the Danes start shitting themselves. That's very obvious. We know that the Danish king or whatever he is um, in that time period, he, they're, they're, so the, the, uh, the Saxon uh, uh, king, he goes to Denmark in exile. He comes back with a bunch of mercenaries and so on. There's, there's a lot of you know, support uh, coming from that, the Danish area, whatever kind of like kingdom of, 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 of polity it is. And after that, then we have um, the slow spread of Christianity northwards and eastwards, and uh, these uh, different uh, uh, kings that are then also rivaling each other in Scandinavia, they will be benefiting from alliances with those Christians to the south and and the west, right? And that's really what we see. So when Harald Haraldi, he's uh, standing there on Stanford Bridge and uh, kicking English ass with his with his Dane axe, um, that's really the culmination of all of this. Because why is he even there in the first place? He's there because he has a familial uh, claim to the throne of England. Um, because his elite family is mixed in with the old English elite families. Um, this is also why William the Conqueror shows up uh, later on. He's also, you know, part of that whole, these are all cousins fighting each other at this point. And it's the same thing when you go to the East. Like, there, there's a reason that, the, you know, uh, <laughs> Denmark in, in the 1400s has a king named Bukislav that they have to rename to Eric. <laughs> because I guess that's easier to say. I don't know. Um, <laughs> And like that, that's, that comes out of a very, very long uh, a, a period of, of mingling between the Scandinavian royal houses and the uh, Polish and Russian and, and elsewhere in the East, right? So, so, Scandin so for the Scandinavian rulers, the, one of the you know, best ways to, to create an alliance in, say, the 900s is really you know, convert to Christianity and then, you know, marry some uh, princess from the South. And, and that's, yeah, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I mean, you see it even with uh, Lothar, the, uh, the son of Louis the Pious, he gives um, Frisia, actually, as beneficium to the Danish king in um, 830 something, 840, mm -hmm. something like that. He gives the, and, and then, you know, the, the monks in San Bertan go all crazy and they go like, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Um, pun unintended. But, um, but we, yeah, that's, that's like a really, really good example. Okay, before we wrap this, this little topic up. So it seems as though the Christianization was more of a, an idea, I guess, that spread throughout almost, I guess, I don't know if peaceful is the right word, but it's not some, fire and tongue kind of <clears throat> conversion where it's an army you know and they're making people by brute force which i think a lot of people in modern day might believe which is why i'm quite keen to maybe dispel that idea this idea that it was very much forced with you know by sword 
and you know the Vikings were so heroic and on bent knee made to become Christian, whereas maybe that's not how it happened. And if it had, if I if I may, um, if it had, then it happened um, within Scandinavia. It was more the the outcome of political interests going back to you know Olaf Trygvasson and um, all of uh, the, the the saint or all of the holy. That's this is exactly what happens. These guys, sure, they're Christian, fine, but and they they tend to go and you know <laughs> let all hell break loose on on people who there are their uh, political uh, opponents. Mm-hmm. Probably in the name of Christianity, but you know, also they happen to be and and, and in some cases these the, these enemies of Christianity were actually Christian themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's another uh, really good point. Like sometimes what we're seeing is, uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, so these guys are, you know, they, they belong to the Greek church. And so, yeah, we can go kick their ass too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's another. And and keep in mind, too, that in this time period from, you know, the uh, 900s and onwards, what we have in in North uh, Northeastern Europe in general are multiple versions of Christianity to uh, uh, competing uh, uh, to 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 bring bring themselves in the forefront. So we know who won that battle. That was like the German Church, but the English Church is also very much involved in Scandinavia in the earlier period. So from around the year thousand, that's when the German Church takes over, right? And the German Church is here defined by Hamburg, the the Archbishopric of Hamburg. Um, I think it's in 1034 or something like that, we see the, uh, uh, the Archbishop of Hamburg, Bremen, he basically appoints um, priests and bishops to 20 different places in Scandinavia. Uh, the Faroe Islands, and in Norway, Denmark, all over the place. And, and so that's pretty powerful, right? And this is what the, the English church was trying to do uh, and hoping to do, especially under Knut the Great. Um, just just a, a little before right and so so there's like this competition and and that's uh, that's what uh what our uh, um a german uh um, bishopric here manages to do um and in the same way we also have the eastern uh, uh church is definitely also involved in trying to convert uh scandinavia i mean there's there's even like a mention of like quote Armenian priests end quote in uh in, in the Icelandic material like four Armenian priests that came to Iceland uh, like I don't even know how that worked out but that's just really fucking interesting to consider mm-hmm. and um and this is of course because of the, all of those alliances that the Scandinavians have with those uh, uh, kings and princes and whatever else you want to call them um, throughout the Russian river systems, right? So there's, you know, Olaf the Holy, when he gets kicked out of Norway, what, where, do, where does he go in exile? He goes straight to Novgorod, right? So, so you can't do that unless you have a lot of buddies there, right? And I don't know if we know exactly what kind of Christianity was uh, the dominant in Novgorod, but I assume that it was um, the Orthodox uh, Greek Church, right? That has basically, you know, been coming up through the the Black Sea and uh, straight into Kiev, and then I assume also Novgorod. So, so that would be that would be another situation where you, as you know, um, as as a church with interests 
in um, in in competing with the other churches, with the Roman Catholic and all that stuff. You're, of course, also trying to uh, convince those Scandinavians from that side that, hey, you should definitely become Greek Orthodox instead of <laughs> Catholic Roman. And you know what? Actually, slave, slavery comes into uh, to the to the discussion here as well, because these guys to the east, on the, I mean, they make they make the big box, big box. Like this is big slavery, right? <laughs> happening in uh, in the east. It, it's not it's not the guys in Birka that take like you know three three people from the market in Frisia that make the money. Like it's usually it, I I believe that it's uh, more likely that they had people on the ground in the greater Poland area actually hunting people and then bringing them to like Scandinavian um, merchants, I guess, middlemen that would take them far, like more to the east and all the way to Constantinople. These people, you have like people with, you know, uh, uh, Scandinavian names appearing in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're being sold down, down, down the river. Right? Yeah, no, no, really. That's, uh, that's so true. Like uh, this is probably the main reason uh, that there is a uh, trade connection with the caliphate in Baghdad, right? So, maybe. This is where the big money is. Yeah, yeah, really is. And we can see that on all the finds of Dinari all over the place. Like, there are so many Arabian coins in Scandinavia. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, this thought has just come to mind, and I don't know whether you will ever have come across this, maybe. Have you ever found anyone, because... I guess you get a lot of white supremacists that use this culture today, modern days. Do you ever get people trying to make that link who have, who aren't in this circle or particularly educated on this when you kind of hear the word of you know, Vikings kept slaves and make this link and then try and put the two together to, to be even more negative, I guess, on this side of things? Absolutely. I mean, this is uh, this is part of the World War II propaganda as well. You know, using using the history of Vikings as a uh, as a justification for you know invading the East, right? The Vikings did it, uh, so so now we will do it. Uh, all that kind of crap. There, there are um, SS uh, um, propaganda posters that were made in Scandinavia uh, with that specific imagery of like a SS soldier uh, and then like a Viking in the background, like uh, basically go fight the Bolsheviks or or, or some something like that um, as as sort of like a stable propaganda. So this has been used for a very long time for exactly that. Um, it, that purpose of of uh, distinguishing. You know, races and and uh, and uh, uh, ethnicities go back to late nineteenth century Austria, right? You have uh, this very um, mixed um, kingdom of like a lot of Germans and then other uh, um, minorities like Polish and Hungarians and uh, Slovenians and uh, Jews and, and and Serbians and so many different peoples, right? And the Germans are using uh, in, in Norse mythology, Germanic history, uh, Viking Age, and all that stuff to to basically like uh, establish racial uh, distinguish uh, racial uh, distinct. I, I'm 
cannot cannot say that word for some <laughs> reason right now. Distinctions uh, between between peoples, right, and 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 like claim land boundaries as well. Um, in 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 this uh, prelude to to all the Nazi shit that comes later on, right? Because that's really where you know a lot of those thoughts are, are established. It, it's in that period of the the late nineteenth century and um, and and the Germans trying to be German in uh, in in a multi ethnic uh, um, community in general. And so yeah, no, this is a uh, this is furthering. Of that, that that uh, you you see that uh, nowadays too, with like uh, uh, white supremacists, um, they are definitely using this in different ways to like claim some kind of like uh, Viking superiority. The whole idea of like Vikings, like going out and fighting and colonizing and mm-hmm. all that stuff, is like being used for that. But what about on on the other side? Um, I guess people looking in and seeing white supremacists use this stuff. But then also, because slavery is such a trigger word that kind of then putting the two together and being like, oh, well, you've got this white supremacist stuff and Vikings kept slave. slaves, were not kind of ignoring the fact that pretty much everybody around that time period kept slaves and just going, Vikings kept slaves, Vikings are linked to white supremacy and been like, it's all bad. Oh, absolutely. That that also happens, right? That, that There's definitely that uh, way of thinking about it as well. Um, you know, so, so much of uh, the Viking history in general is just politicized in so many ways that it's fucking annoying. You have no idea how how annoying I think it actually is. (laughs) Even, even in between Scandinavian countries, right? There's, there's the history of like the Viking age and who was the most badass Viking. Like, was it Norway or was it Sweden or was it Iceland or was it Denmark and all that stuff? And, you know, it, it just gets really tiresome. <laughs> and, like, come on, come on, guys. Like, really, really, you, you, you can't find anything better to, to, <laughs> to fight about. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, it's just dick swinging, isn't it, really? It, it really is a lot of dick swinging. You know, you know Roll it's not up, an episode man. of the podcast without a dick reference in there somewhere. So, of not. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is. Uh, but it, I guess as our culture changes as well, these ideas change within how things are, are perceived and, and shown. Because I guess it used to be very much this, this idea of a big, strong man going around in, in modern day. Like, that's not quite as acceptable anymore as maybe it was 10, 20 years ago. So maybe it starts to shift a little bit and people hopefully will portray it as it was rather than. Well, so, I mean, I would actually say that nowadays what has unfortunately happened is that we've sort of come back to the idea of those like cool Viking warriors. That's really what we see all over popular TV, like a show like Vikings, right? Like that's that's the idea of like uh, the Scandinavian uh, colonizers. That's really what they are, right? And that's you know, that's really a, a stretch when it comes to you know the interpretation of Scandinavians in this time period. At some points, they were. I mean, you could definitely say that they were colonizers in 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 England, mm-hmm. um, but. But elsewhere, maybe not so much. This whole idea of like, oh, going to the West and finding all of these places and, oh, they discovered, quote, discovered uh, North America. It's like, fuck off. They they hung out for like five minutes and then they left again. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you see really a, a flattening of um, there's like competing narratives. They stick all them together, kind of. There's on the one hand, there's the Viking settler with like you know knife between your teeth type thing, and then every woman that appears on the screen is like you know a warrior. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's also the tendency now to um, it, it's like all you know around uh, Birka in, in uh, what was it? I think it was a burial chamber, whatever BJ eight five one, if I remember correctly. Um, so instead of having um, an individual who's biologically female that was buried with um, weapons and talking about it, in okay, you know, let's try and understand what's happening here. Suddenly, you have these huge, you know, titles um, in nature: Viking, female warrior. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's just there's a flat all throughout flattening. I think of uh, there's no nuance, right? It's either mm-hmm. they're they're these marauding maniacs, or they're all like you know woke, uh, like guess... fluids. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, no, that's the time. That's the that's the time we live in where everything has to be super either controversial or to. It's all about getting clicks on their article, <laughs> and it's very much on vogue to be have these strong female warriors. It's something that stands out, and I guess brings a lot of females probably interested into the like the Viking world. Whether it's true or not, it probably brings a lot of interest into it. So to be able to go, oh, we found a shield maiden. And then put it in a headline. It's very, it's very clickable. Rather than, oh, this there's a late, you know, if the headline was, you know, proof of Viking shield and or, oh, there's a lady that was buried with weapons. Like, mm. you, you can see why why they go with that because it's all about getting, getting people to react. I guess, and that's the, it, it's kind of unfortunate that modern culture and what's happening at the time influences how people are educated on history because at the end of the day history's already happened we need we should be trying to portray it as closely to what it is rather than letting it be swayed by um our modern ideas so that's probably the best thing i've ever said on this podcast <laughs> so somebody soundbite that i'm going to put it in a little clip and i'm going to post <laughs> it on the internet somewhere <laughs> so yeah there we go <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've got a little bit of time left um uh Mateus, you you made a post this week that I, I quite liked. Uh I believe you may have been under the influence at the time. Um you you let me know privately, but I'm telling everyone you're, uh, maybe a little bit inebriated. Then Mateus, read away. All right, yeah. So it says, Hey mortals, PSA for the people, Heimdather hater in and hater of Hatlinskiri or Kutlintani, tenor. Hans Vauru of Kutli. That's a quote from Snurri Stoddison in Gulvegining uh, uh, 27. And that means Heimdather is the name of one, and he's also called Haklinskidi and Kutlintani. His teeth were made of gold. And uh, end quote. The Nordic god Heimdather has grills. My god is more <laughs> gangster than your god. Thank you for your attention. <laughs> G- gangster with an A, not an ER, because yeah, you course. are cool. Because I am cool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this I find this very interesting. Um, so does that mean that he had literal gold teeth, or as I saw our friend Agamster put, 
does it mean that maybe his teeth, his, his personal hygiene wasn't that good and he just had yellow teeth? It's a, I thought he was saying that it was a major diss because he didn't really have any teeth at all. He, oh, okay. He had to I, get them replaced by with gold. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I, maybe I just came up with my own theory that he has yellow <laughs> teeth. He was he was British. Yeah. So so um, yeah, the backstory for this is what the, I've been up um, uh, late doing a lot of work and all those things and. Uh, also having a couple of, uh, uh, of beers along with that. And uh, and then, you know, this popped into my mind. Um, and yeah, no, so the, the, yeah, it's a good question. Is, is this a diss or, or is this, um, what does this actually mean? Like, what are we dealing with here? One of the interesting things and that you can say broadly about the Nordic gods is that all of these like weird attributes that they have, they're, they're really funky. Like, you know, a god with one hand, a god with like one eye, a god with golden teeth. <laughs> like, are we seeing a pattern here? Like, uh, where's the wooden leg? Um, like, this is a pirate ship. Come on, like that's really what we're dealing with here. There, there are a bunch of like, uh, uh, like all we need is Jack Sparrow in there, and and it, it's like perfect. Uh, I think that's that's really that's really what we're um, uh, uh, dealing with here. Um, and, um, I like, of course, scholarship has like made a big deal out of his golden teeth and, and it's like, might be something with the sun, uh, or, or something like that. But I, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm pretty sure that there's like a lot of humor involved in, uh, in writing this stuff down. I mean, I'm pretty sure Snutter Sturluson was sitting in his new turf hut, just giggling his ass off while he was... <laughs> Probably also, you know, under the influence of something once Maybe. in a while. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's quite cool, though, isn't it? Like, it's, it's a sign of wealth, I guess. You know, it's, oh, he had gold teeth. It just means he was oh, different. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, nobody, I imagine, had gold teeth back then. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think so, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> oh, please find some gold teeth one day. Well, so this, that's the one of the things that I'd say, like, this is the stuff that uh, if, if like we were putting grandpa in the grave with gold teeth, that somebody would probably like uh, snatch them up. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so somebody mentioned about Heimdall being referenced to have dark skin. And that made me then think of obviously the MC, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's MCU for the geeks out there. <laughs> 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 like me. Um, obviously their choice to have Idris Elba and I, it's, for some reason, people fucking complained about that at the time because people are assholes and it's not yeah, like so he's a fucking god or anything and he can be whatever color skin he wants. But is there any truth to that in like the source material of him being referenced to having darker skin than, say, the other gods? Actually, uh, not as far as I know. Okay. But uh, there, is, there is something that makes it, uh, makes the Marvel choice a, even more fun. And that is that he is called the white god, like <laughs> in, that, oh. in that section where it says that he also has grills. He's called the white god, um, and and so you know. I the, mean, I hope Marvel trolled the fuck out of everyone because of that. I I'm, I would I like think to think they that. Did. I kind of like it. <laughs> and I of mean, course, yeah. you know now now all all those assholes who are mad about that with Marvel, they're going to descend upon our podcast too. Oh. Pro- probably but i mean the people are just weird like yeah. it's it's a god like 
it's like the same people get upset about Idris Elba maybe being James Bond. James Bond can't be black. Well, fuck off. Yeah, he can. He's not a real person. And Idris Elba can be whoever the fuck he wants to be. It's Idris Elba. Like, that guy's mint. Just, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> as long as the film's good, I don't give a shit. But I mean, and also get... thinking thinking about medieval, like the actual medieval reality. You you definitely could have. I mean, people traveled around, and you had some pretty rich people going around from place to place. You had, you know, people traveling from Iraq, from um, Iberia to Schleswig-Holstein. So why not complaining about their singing that it sounds like dogs? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, why not? Uh, it could be any color they wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, for fuck's sake, there's a uh, giant in Norse mythology called Leopard. So... <laughs> <laughs> so we have one more thing for Harrington to pull up. I've been saving this YouTube comment for about four weeks now just for this episode because it fits so nicely into it. This may be the, my favourite comment that we've uh, we've had so far. Matthias, if you want to read it out so I don't have to stutter and splutter like I did in uh, okay. high school. Yes. Um, somebody called Out of Bubblegum uh, <laughs> writes, I love your conversation and information, but that doesn't mean I approve of Vikings. So I will give a thumbs down, but I hope you continue producing content because that's how we all learn. Keep up the good work. Which, which in itself is the best comment we've ever had just because it's like, I like what you do, but I don't really like it. So keep doing what you're doing. And I hope it goes well for you. It's like the most passive aggressive compliment ever. Yeah, it's um odd. <laughs> and it's like the whole I don't approve of Vikings. It's like, well, yeah, but it still existed. Like, and, and it's just the fact that they've also taken the time to watch a video about Vikings. It's like yeah. it's not it's not hidden what our podcast is about. It's called no, it's, this is the like mythology podcast. Level trolling right here. And, okay, so, <laughs> and the video the video they commented on also is like <laughs> Dane Law Deep it was the Dane Law Deep but uh, Dane Law Deep Dive. Fuck mm. the alliteration. Who did that? <laughs> Dane Law Deep Dive with Roderick Dale. It's like it's it's pretty you know what you're getting. It's not like yeah. you stumbled upon it by accident and gone, oh no, Vikings. <laughs> No, it's that was that was a weird one, but uh, but this person goes on though to to uh, to say a couple more uh, interesting things. Um, so the person goes on to uh, to say uh, the entire legal system of today was created by the Vikings. So if you love lawyers, then you love like like uh, okay, <laughs> uh, not really true either, bro. But fine. <laughs> it is my conviction that the Vikings are the tribe of Dan in the Bible. That I can get on board with. That's a little bit of me, is that? Yeah, totally. Who was the serpent <laughs> tribe? Dane law is completely lawless. Uh, it is contradistinction to the Ten Commandments. Okay, puffing some of the hard shit right there. Okay, so now let's get an assessment of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tribe of Dan. Wonderful. Okay, so, so do you want the? Uh... I, I could be the Jew of uh, the Jew of information. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I sent this to you, and you, yeah. you did some digging. 
<laughs> I did some digging. I had to. I simply had to. I uh, was cracking, laughing, and then I had to. Uh, then I had to understand where on earth this this came from. Um, so apparently, it was like a 19th century thing um, called Nordic Israelism. And maybe maybe that's a good opportunity to say that, like in the 19th century. So other than Nazis, you had another another branch of banana heads um, thinking that they're they're all actually the real um, uh, sons of Israel. They're, they're the real the Jews OG. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you start like finding them all over the world. Um, so specifically, these guys who uh, were the founders of the Pentecostal Church in Denmark. Um, they took on some ideas from uh, like Brit- British Israelism. Um, and basically they, their point was that um, the peoples of like Northern Europe were the, the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Um, and they even, they went as far as, uh, this is absolutely wonderful. Uh, the Norwegians they said were the, the tribe of uh, Naphtali, Naphtali. Um, the the Danes were uh, the tribe of Dan. Unsurprisingly, this is a half baked <laughs> philology for you. And the Jutz, drum roll, were the Jews. <laughs> oh fuck! So I'm 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 OG Jew. <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because the Jews were not part of the lost tribes of Israel. They are the only ones that were not lost. <laughs> Which is the whole point? Yes, of course. <laughs> that was but it such doesn't a really matter, twist. you know. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> wow! Of course, yeah, yeah. I, no. like, I like this theory very much. That if we, you know, like this is the cool. We're actually Vikings, you know. <laughs> it goes the other way around. Perfect. Yeah, but th- no, this is what you get when you start, you know, doing Protestantism, right? Like the the the, the all of these different, uh, you know, local kings. Uh, in Northern Europe, they secede from from the Catholic Church. They're all like we're Protestants now, right? And then they're like, well, uh, that means that that we're we're the true the true tribe, right? That belongs to God. And then you get you know crazy Swedes in the 1700s that are like, yeah, actually, you know, um, originally Swedish was spoken in the Garden of Eden. And also uh, Sweden was the original Atlantis and we invented civilization in the first place. And, you know, a lot of other funky shit happened. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> Sweden, <laughs> Swedish scholarship from, from the 1600s. Anyway, uh, going on from there, uh, then we get all of these other crazies, right? So the stuff that you just told us about Shaha, like that was amazing right there. And, um, this is also what you know most of like evangelicalism or whatever you want to call it over here in the US is like founded on like basically finding new Jerusalem and the garden of eden because these these people actually thought that we could go to the americas and then find the garden of eden here because now that everybody had accepted that the world was round and all that stuff that would mean that we would get to the far end of asia if we went west, huh? You see how you know you just you mm-hmm. just need to like be 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 drinking a little bit of wine with cocaine in it, <laughs> and then it all makes sense. Shortcut. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, do we do we think that person's a troll, or are they being are they serious? 
That's the real question right there. I I can't figure it out. I no, think I, if I had to say, I mean, in another comment that we didn't see, <laughs> so I'm assuming out of bubblegum uh, has a lot to do with Christianity because in another comment um, they write about the the um, the analogy of the tree from Paul. Paul talks about the the grafting of the the wild olive on uh, on the um, like cultured olive, which is by the way the, a good trick that Christianity pulled to to get everybody on board. Um, so I'm guessing maybe. Out of bubblegum is a is a Christian uh, uh, a troll with Christian background. <laughs> That's my <laughs> a hybrid. I think you're right. I mean, so so, so uh, just you know to to uh, t- attest a comment to this the crazy Danish Pentecostals. There there are still you know uh, uh, you know really weird far out Danish uh, Christian sects that do believe that they descend from the tribe of Dan. Um, that's, that's a real thing. There was just a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I read an article about um, these, um, this mother and her daughter who were who, who like uh, living in, in the woods somewhere in Denmark, just <laughs> trying to be completely off grid and, and totally Christian and descend from Dan. So yeah, that's um, the thing. <laughs> tribe of Dan sounds, I want to say it sounds awesome, but I don't know enough about them and they might have done really shitty things, in which case I want to distance myself from them. Oh, dude, 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 you want to start a compound. You want to, you want to get like a little harem and all that stuff. And then you can be the leader of Dan, uh, the tribe of Dan. I mean, that sounds... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sounds all right, but I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Yeah, you probably will. I mean, I can't think of a single like compound cult type situation that's ever gone well. Well, yeah, well just it's a matter of size, right? If it's big enough, it gets popular enough, then uh, it's not a cult anymore. No, then it's well, religion. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you could just, you know, like hold the entire American legal system hostage until they uh, recognize you as a church and don't have to pay taxes anymore. Usually, usually, you know, involving the people of Israel in this uh, this theory helps promoting it as a religion just based on, you know. Yeah, what is up with this thing? Why why do everybody want to be the people of Israel? Like, you know, come on. It's me. We get into trouble. Look, past like 5,000 years have not been a picnic for the <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, let's let's wrap this up. So thank you very much. This is this has been fun. Uh like I say it's been one that I've been looking forward to. It's a topic I've I've definitely had interest in and uh, it tiptoed around, <laughs> I guess, at the start and got a little bit flustered. But no, it's it's fun. Hopefully we've set the record straight. I mean, it's one of those things, I think slavery is such a trigger word these days. It's as soon as, as soon as you mention it, you kind of, I know for me, like my, my hands go a bit clammy and I, you know, everybody doesn't want to say the wrong thing, but you have to also remember these are people that are a thousand years ago and it was a very much a different time. You can't hold them by our standards that doesn't mean that they're good people bad people it's just they were people and you've got to look at it through an objective eye and that's what you've got to try and do it you can't put 
our modern understanding, our modern emotions onto it. That's the second mic drop of the episode. So let's just end it right there. Cut it. Everyone go home. Shaka, uh, have you got anything you would like to shout out, like where people can find you? Um, and on Instagram, if you're interested, I'm on um, Aurora um, underscore Aust, A-U-S-T, like Aurora Australis, because Aurora is Shahal, ha ha ha. Yeah. And if you're interested, um, a friend, a dear friend and a colleague of mine, um, with the encouragement of our supervisor, uh, we started the Israeli Forum of Early Medieval Studies. Um, so if you're interested in, it's, it's quite academic, uh, but if you're really interested in getting um, the new, the latest news on early medieval uh, history, then uh, you can follow our Facebook page on the Early Medieval um, Forum, the, the Forum of Early Medieval Studies, <laughs> sorry, the Israeli Forum of Early Medieval Studies. Um, and we're working on an Instagram uh, page to come. Awesome. Also, a um, excuse me, didn't you just come out with an article in a book? Yes. yes. Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe right. mention that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So the book is, it's a really, really great volume. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's called uh, Viking Age Slavery. And I'm absolutely honored and shocked that I'm in this volume. <laughs> I it's recommend. a... It's a good cast. I, I have seen uh, some of the other authors, so you're you're in very good company. That's good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, Mateus, where can people send you hate mail? <laughs> well, you can always send me hate mail on my Instagram profile. Um, I I have been getting so many um, friend requests on Facebook lately. I'm pretty sure half of them aren't even real humans. No. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah uh, uh so, uh, so yeah you can you can find me on those platforms i'm still debating with myself today just shut down my facebook altogether um because it's a cesspool but um yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm you can find me there and then i'll be posting <laughs> random shit once in a while <laughs> there, there we go oh oh i have gotten a lot of uh, friend requests from bob ranison <laughs> and his buddies <laughs> <laughs> all right if you want to follow me personally it's daniel and scott fire one on instagram uh yeah you can send me a hit mail if you really want i don't care probably she won't open it um if you if you enjoy the show please leave us a review um a positive review hopefully a five-star <laughs> rating and a positive review uh preferably on itunes it really helps bump us up the the ratings it helps people find it hopefully you know not everyone wants to start a new podcast they'll see the review and hopefully click and have a listen uh you can find us on facebook instagram at naughty mythology podcast the website is naughtymythologypodcast.com and you can get this wonderful t-shirt that i'm wearing which was done by the raven from the north which is odin with two eyes and raven helmet i guess raven horns something like that raven horns, yeah <laughs> Yeah, if I got you... him tattooed on my arm too, but he doesn't have raven horns. He looks more like, um, I don't know, snails. Oh, well, the god of snails. The god of snails. <laughs> um, we are trying to push our YouTube. So if you get a moment, please pop over to our YouTube channel, Nordic Mythology Podcast, um, and just hit subscribe. We're going to be popping up a bunch of short miniature videos, um, just bite sizes from the episodes. And if you want to support us on a more 
in-depth level patreon is the best place and you also get to join us for our bonus episode that we record straight after the main show every week me and Mateus sit down and watch shit an about the vikings yeah watch an episode of the vikings tv show and let you know our thoughts Mateus tells us some of his true usually the most the, the things that i think are going to be the most bullshit end up being real and vice versa mm-hmm. uh, and it's usually just a good laugh it's it's light-hearted and it's and our fun. audience has a has a bingo game going uh <laughs> <laughs> based yeah. off of what, what, what kind of things will Matthias say next and what else will be in there so it's about that's it <laughs> exactly so yeah if you want to if you want to join in and watch that um like i said just pause on patreon at any level it really helps us out helps us keep going you know we we seem to be growing more members to the team uh daily who help us out it's not just me and Matthias. obviously we sit here and speak but we've got a bunch of people behind the scenes who whether it's Saxon, Storyteller doing the artwork or Shannon, Mike doing the editing, um, it really does help out and uh, helps us keep those people, people there helping us. So yeah, there we go. That's the episode. So thank you very much.